Welcome to Scale School, my friends. I'm Dan Bolton and my purpose here is simple. I wanna help you increase the scalability of your coaching or consulting business so as it gets bigger, life gets better. Here we will be talking everything from getting clients, keeping clients, teams, leadership, but most importantly, making scaling simple and fun again. Thanks so much for tuning in and I hope you get a ton out of today's episode. What is up, beautiful friends? Welcome to episode one of the Scalability Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bolton. I just wanna say, this has been a long time coming. I am pumped to be releasing this. Uh, if you're watching, then you understand this is gonna be a video podcast. If you're listening, you might not know. And so uh, this is gonna be both an audio and video form, but every episode will be a bit different. Some of them might be just like this and others might be uh, you know, recording of a training that I've done. And so you're gonna be able to see, hear that. You're gonna be uh, welcomed in on interviews that I get to have with world-class experts in the realm of scaling uh, high-ticket online businesses. And so I wanna invite you to subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already and subscribe wherever you listen to great podcasts. The last thing I'm gonna say is, as we roll this out, even though this is episode one, I got a big vision, big plan for this podcast, but at no point do I ever anticipate having any type of sponsorships or anything like that. So if you enjoy listening to content like this, uh, feel free to subscribe, like, review, share, all of that good stuff. With that being said, I wanna dive right into it and not hype this up any longer uh, and talk about you know the vision for the podcast. I mean, the vision is really simple. I work in the high ticket space. Uh, we have a high ticket business and we have become fairly good at helping coaches, consultants, agency owners, people like that scale to 100K a month and beyond. And so this is gonna be sharing a lot of the best practices, the tips, the mindsets, the tools, the strategies, all of what we're seeing working right now in this space. And most importantly, and I do say this most importantly, how do we build and scale a business that as it gets bigger, life gets better and not worse? Because I don't know about you, I did not start this business to have freedom and then have it be taken away from me as it gets bigger, right? <laughs> you guys might know what I'm talking about. You, you start the business and you start making some money and you're like, oh my gosh, I can work from a cafe, this is amazing. And then you go on a trip and you take your laptop with you and this is awesome and then, you know, if you haven't got there already, you, you will, you start to get a team and then you have like ads and you've got all these different responsibilities and all of a sudden uh, you've signed up to just like living in an office, on Zoom calls, back to back, managing all these people, creating all this content. And while the revenue might be growing, the happiness is decreasing. And one of the things that I'm really passionate about, one of the things that I think we do fairly well in our business is that balance and creating that margin, not just on the profit side, but on the time, energy, happiness side. So that's really the subject of this podcast going forward is like, how do we scale? How do we get clients? How do we create consistency, predictability, but also how do we do it so it's fun? So as it gets bigger, life gets better. And then how do we do it in a way where we can actually travel? Where we have a lean, mean team. We don't feel like we're freaking managing 50 people. Uh, and I might just be projecting, some of you guys might like this, but I imagine many of you uh, are similar to me in that you know you really wanna create a business that gives you freedom, not takes it away. And so I'm pumped for this podcast because uh, I tried, well, I tried. I was gonna start a podcast in 2018. I finished up, for many of you who know my backstory, uh, almost all of my 20s, I was a youth pastor uh, in New Zealand, it's where the accent's from, and I was a youth pastor from 18 years old to 28 years old, and I stepped into the great unknown. I, I um, 
became an online consultant, right? I had no idea what that meant at the time. I was going through uh, a course, Sam Ovens, many of you probably know, I'm going through his consulting accelerator. And around that time, I told my wife, I said, you know, I just feel I'm supposed to create content and I'm gonna start a podcast. And at that time, I was gonna call it Pursuing Awesome. And it was gonna be about helping young people discover their purpose and all that good stuff. And uh, I'm still very passionate about that. But, but at that time, what I also realized was uh, I needed to figure out how to make money first because I didn't know how to make money through a podcast. And so at that point, you know, it got put on the back burner. And then the next year, got put on the back burner. And the next year, got put on the back burner. Until recently, I was like, man, I got into this business to have the freedom to do what I want to do. And I love creating stuff videos, I love writing things, I love recording things. And so this is a passion project for me. I'm sure it'll it'll be great for business over the long term for us, but more importantly, I'm coming at you every week with these episodes because I'm so passionate about uh, what, what we do, the industry we're in, the time we're in. I think it's such an exciting time. And I, I just want to share and, and, and kind of bring a lot of these lessons to light because I think some of the things we're experiencing, some of the things I'm learning, some of the things we are doing in our own business seem to be rarer in the online space these days. And so this is really a passion project that I'm excited to share with you. And I hope that you enjoy and kind of join in on the journey along with me, regardless of whether you're in launch phase or whether you're kind of scaling up. And so in this episode, um, I wanted to firstly give you a snapshot of our business right now that will then lead into uh, sharing 10 of the biggest lessons that we have learned in five and a half million dollars in sales in just the last few years alone. And so uh, these lessons are in no particular order and they're not comprehensive. I'm sure I could sit down and think of 20 more, but there were 10 big lessons that I think whether you are launching, just starting out, whether you are well into the scaling journey, I think will be insightful and helpful for you. So let me give you a quick backstory and evolution of our business because I think this will give you a lot of context of how I got to where we are in terms of both uh, our stage of business and also kind of my mindset around this. So as I mentioned, in 2018, I really didn't know what I was doing. And I'm sure you guys can relate that feeling of you've gone through a course, you know, some someone, the guru, the teacher said like, this is simple, just go do it. And uh, I didn't know any better. And so, you know, I was just stepping out of being a youth pastor. I had no previous business experience whatsoever. And I felt unemployable because, uh, you know, when I was 16, I dropped out of high school. I never went to university and I basically never did anything else except for being a youth pastor. And so 2018, I really didn't know what to do. So I just stepped into the, the kind of coaching consulting world. And in April of 2018, uh, that first month, my, my roster of business uh, was off to a great start because even though I didn't have many skills, I had built an audience of people locally through the church that trusted me enough to kind of give me a shot in the new venture, which was amazing. So I hit the mythical 10K a month uh, barrier in my first 30 days. It was an incredible milestone for me coming from earning about 30 grand for most of my 20s. And I think I peaked at like 40 something. And so to make, you know, I think it was $12,300 in my first 30 days was freaking phenomenal, blew my mind. And at that stage, I was doing like everything for everybody. So let me give you a kind of insight in terms of what business looked like then. I was managing the social media for a local grocery store. I was building a website for a builder. I was running ads for a vehicle financing place. And then at that point, I think I had two coaching clients. I had 
one client who was a personal trainer and I was teaching him how to uh, get clients online using his Instagram and then set up an online program. And I was literally just mimicking the online program. I was just going through myself and being like, hey, yeah, you have modules and you got Q&A calls. And then the second one was a real estate agent and I was teaching him. I'd worked with him for free for a couple of months uh, to kind of validate the concept to try and figure out exactly how to do this. And I helped him land two listings, I think, or one listing or something like that uh, through an Instagram post. And, you know, for agents, they make, you know, three or 4%, I think, per sale. But when you're selling a $500,000, $700,000 house, like that can be a lot of money. And so anyway, he landed this thing. And so he was my fifth client, I think it was. And that was my roster of clients in the first, uh, you know, 30 days. And then it kind of graduated from there and I added different people into the mix. But at that stage, I really didn't have a niche. I didn't have a clear offer. I was everything for everyone. That went on for a while. And in January of 2019, so about seven, eight months later, I had lots of people asking me, how did I make this transition from pastor to online dude? At that point, honestly, a lot of friends thought I was like drug dealing. I think I had a spat. I'm sorry if you saw that. <laughs> um, uh, thought of, like like not just drug dealing, but like thought it was a pyramid scheme. Like it was just so far from people's mind, they couldn't comprehend it. And and I had I it wasn't so foreign for me, even though it was new for me because I'd been following uh, different people online for a long time. I remember digging into Brendan Bashard videos. If you know who he is, he's amazing. In 2011, and so I had awareness of this online space for a really long time that you could monetize your expertise online through service or giving advice but no one around me really knew how the heck that worked. And and there were people on one side of the fence that thought I was into something dodgy and people on the other side of the fence that still didn't get it, but were intrigued. And so around that time, I, I um, you know did what most entrepreneurs do. I'm like, hey, I've already got this business that's not doing super well and is already complicated. Why don't I start another thing? And that's exactly what I did. I had this agency doing everything for everyone. And then I started something called the Six Figure Side Hustle. And it was helping people do exactly what I'd done, start this kind of agency that ran simple ads for local businesses on the side. And that that became relatively successful fast. You know, it was a $1,000 program. Uh, we got up to about, you know, um, one sale a day on average within like 90 days, which was pretty good. So, you know, doing the math, it's like 20 to 30K a month when you add in payment plans and things like that. And at that period of time, we also moved countries. So we moved from New Zealand to Australia. And without going into all the details uh, of that time and kind of you know why what happened happened, we uh, ended up having to move back to New Zealand uh, after 16 weeks. And so I'm in the midst of like, literally we land in Australia and that, my wife has uh, got one kid pregnant with the second. And I'm like, bye, babe, I need to go record modules for my new program. And so I'm like head down, you know, we've just moved to a new country. I'm not even paying attention to my family. And so I'm just like building this thing, you know, getting the six figure side hustle going. So we end up having to move back to New Zealand after 16 weeks. We get into $30,000 worth of debt in that in that time period, because basically, uh, you know, I'm, I'm running ads, I'm, I'm making $1,000 sales. But then for the last month, I'm so stressed with moving, we're running ads, but making no sales. And there's no money coming in because there's no recurring revenue because right? there's this 997 sales. That, and then we also have just filled our house with furniture that we have to go ahead and sell and then go back to New Zealand and then set it all up over again. And so we end up in, in a bunch of debt that I had to get a loan off a friend. 
uh, thankfully, absolute legend. I think he was a client of mine at that point or became a client of mine, one of, one of the most amazing guys. I wish I could give him a shout out, but he'd probably be embarrassed. He gave us a loan and we got back in June of 2019 and I realized that this business model of going and having to sell people over and over again, this really cheap thing, even though I loved it, I loved serving the people, I loved the people I was working with, I loved the goals we were having them achieve, it wasn't the right business model. So in 2019, I was like, I'm gonna start an agency again, but I'm gonna do it differently and better this time. First agency, everything for everyone, failure. Second agency, we're only gonna work with one type of person and solve one type of problem. And so we became the agency that helped coaches get more sales calls through webinar funnels. And if that sounds really specific, it is. And what happened was over the next nine months, we grew from zero to 100K a month. Now, there was a lot of really great uh, kind of factors that were playing into that. Firstly, I was an, a part of an incredible community with Taki Moore called Black Belt. I was firstly just a part, one of the clients in there. Then I became one of the coaches. So referrals were really strong. Organic marketing was also working for us. And we were actually pretty good at what we did. We really doubled down on mastering the webinar funnel to help coaches get more clients. And so we developed a bit of a reputation in and around it. And, and so we went from zero to uh, 100K in nine months, which was great. And what was crazy at that point is um, about four months into that journey, uh, so the business is still scaling, I start working with Taki Moore. So I, I get the amazing opportunity to be one of his client success coaches and kind of oversee that area. And so I was working three days a week for Taki and two days a week for uh, our, in our agency. And what's crazy was we're at 100K a month, I'm in it two days a week, we've got one full-time uh, guy in there, and then we have a funnel agency that we uh, are kind of contracting out to. And that was it, that was like super lean, super simple, it was crazy. And we'd spend a lot of time building systems and process, but you know, really simplified the offer. So it was really simple to deliver. And so uh, I finished up with Taki, because everything was kind of a bit too much, it was very, very stressful. And I uh, do. I made a big mistake, which is I was like, well, you know, we need to hire some people. And we definitely needed to hire like one person. But I went and hired a bunch of people because I was like a seven-figure CEO. Now, I thought I had to have a big team to mirror the big business. And so we overhired big time. Business became really dumb really fast. And uh, if you guys are tracking, this is early 2020. And so... Early 2020, we're about to head into COVID. COVID happens. Uh, all of my friends are getting to watch Tiger King on Netflix, chilling at home because their their businesses are shut down. They're working from home, whatever. And for us, like all of our clients are freaking out because they need to figure out how to market differently. And so we're working double time. So COVID happens, very stressful at this point. You know, up until this point in my life, probably the most stressed I've been. <laughs> it's very, very intense, right? Business is not structured well. COVID's happening. I think I got COVID like really early on. <laughs> like it was really intense. And that we get through the kind of initial challenge of all of that. And then in June of 2020, I promise this is going somewhere. I'm hoping this is kind of engaging and helpful for you guys to kind of track how we got to where we are. In June of 2020, this crazy thing happened. So we're running an agency. We've got all these clients. They're paying, you know, uh, you know they're, they're spending thousands of dollars a month in ads. Some of them are like $1,000 a day. So there's all of this this kind of overhead and uh, not, not overhead, but complexity to it. And one of our team members had uh, his Facebook account hacked and what happened was the hacker got into his Facebook profile 
and went into every client ad account and started spending money. And it's it's like so hard to look back and not laugh because it was an incredibly stressful time. But the ads that the hacker was running was just ads to like fake Calvin Klein undies or something like that. Like it was just the it was just the weirdest thing to try and get my head around. Like, whoa, this really bad thing is happening, but also that's really funny. And what happened was uh, a bunch of client ad accounts were shut down because Facebook picks up, okay, this is really weird behavior. You know, all of these ad accounts are being shut down and these new ad accounts are being turned on. It's very, very bizarre. And so two things happened. Firstly, Facebook shut ad accounts down. And then secondly, a bunch of money actually got spent by the hacker, right? So some ad accounts didn't get shut down and the money just got spent. And so over the next 30 days, we lose a bunch of clients Right, and that they weren't even angry at us. It was just such an unfortunate situation that they're like, you know, better to just cut ties. And the other thing was that Facebook reimbursed some of the ad spend because they knew that it was fraudulent. And even though they knew other ad spend was fraudulent, they didn't. So over the next 30 days, it cost us $100,000 cash to deal with all of the fallout of that situation. Again, just think about how crazy this is for me. I'm running this agency and, uh, you know, an employee's account gets hacked and like over the next few days we just lose all these clients and we have to just we're sending people like wires of thousands of dollars to you know to reimburse the ad spend that we didn't do anything it was just crazy and so stressful at the end of that period i realized i couldn't give a crap about the agency business model so what i had working well was that i really loved the people we were working with like i loved working with coaches i also loved the outcome we were helping them achieve in terms of growing and scaling would become really good at it we were working at that point with people at seven at six figures seven figures eight figures we helped our first client get to a million a month it was super exciting but the way we were helping them was so stressful like even just the fact that that could happen with an agency business model was just enough for me to tap out and so at that point I said to all of the agency team, I said, guys, I'm out. I'm not doing the agency anymore. So if you want jobs, you have got to keep this agency alive because I'm going out to start a coaching program. And that's exactly what I did. And to their credit, I had so little to do with the agency from them moving forward. Like we're talking a couple of hours a week. And that agency hovered around 100K a month for over the next year. And that's a massive credit to the team that was running it and also to the processes and systems that we built. And so in July of 2020, I launched a, a program. And this is where I'm just gonna speed up really fast. We launched something called the High Ticket Club. And what it was, was we were teaching the thing that we were doing for clients. So we had been running ads and helping clients get calls, helping coaches get calls. And so now I was just teaching that. It evolved over the next 18 months, but what was crazy about that is we were then able to take that coaching program from zero to hitting a $347,000 cash month just 16 months later. But this is where the kind of lessons come into play uh, because in 2020, 2021, the business made $2 million, maybe 2.1, 2.2, I can't exactly remember. And it was just hard. It was really hard. So a good portion of that year, we had an agency, then we had a front end, then I listened to everyone and we had a back end mastermind. And you know, I'll, I'll get on to why I don't like that uh, in a moment. But we had like, you know, the agency, so I had two businesses for a good portion of it, had the front end, had the back end. And it was just hard. And not only that, when we got to uh, that $347,000 a month, we had a team of 13 
people. And so my day, and I was living in New Zealand at the time, and so most of our team and our clients were US-based. So my day started at like 5.30 or 6 on calls, and I was just managing people, and I freaking hated it. But I was doing everything I thought I was supposed to be doing. I was running the, the sales team huddles and doing sales call reviews and just all of the things you think you should be doing at that seven-figure level. I was trying to be the poster child of doing that well. Fast forward 12 months to we're coming up to the end of 2020 and the business this this year is on track to do the same amount of money as we did last year. But instead of having 13 people, we have, there are five of us, so it's me plus four people. Instead of having multiple businesses and two offers, we have one offer. Instead of having lots of funnels, we have one funnel and everything is really simple. Not perfect. We all have challenges. We're trying to always trying to like put out fires and things like that. There are always things that can be better, but it is day and night from the business that we had built last year. And not only is it more profitable, even just for this month, like there's context that I guess I should cover, which is we turned off all marketing and sales for five months of this year. And so we didn't take on any new clients and we just worked with the clients that we already had. So it was incredibly simple. And, and then uh, during that period, my hours were as low as eight hours a week. Like I was just focusing on my health because I'd really let some things and I'm, I'm still there transparently. I'm still like really focusing on my health um, and, and just focusing on my family because we just moved countries. And I share all of that as backstory and context to not try and paint this picture that we have the biggest business or the best business. But we've, we've got to a place where I really love the business we have. Like I love the business model. And there are some really key lessons that have brought us to this place of simple, fun, profitable, and we get to work with, with amazing clients in a really meaningful way. And so I wanted to share the 10 biggest lessons I've learned in this journey. Now, you're not going to find anything about a specific funnel in these 10 lessons. So I don't want you to tune out and think I'm about to give you marketing or sales advice. This is really big picture stuff that whether you're starting or scaling, are the, the kind of piece of advice that I would pass down to you no matter where you are in the journey, just in kind of my humble experience of kind of where we've been over the last couple of years and all of the lessons and mistakes that I've made along the way. So number one, is the biggest lesson for me, and this is just a repetitive lesson, is how much scaling and entrepreneurship is an inner game, right? It's an inner game. One of the mistakes that most of us make as human beings is we think outside in, right? And so when something is wrong, we go outside of ourselves and we think we don't know enough or we need to build something. And, and I love this Tony Robbins quote. He says, uh, success is 80% psychology and 20% mechanics. Now just think about that for a second. 80% psychology and 20% mechanics. So I would kind of say the same in my experiences. When I first started coaching and consulting, I thought it was maybe like, I mean, mindset wasn't even on my radar. It was like 100% mechanics. Like I was looking for the funnel and the script and the, the cheat sheet and the template. I was looking for the ad swipe file. Like I was looking for the step-by-step, -step, tell me what to do and I'll do it because if I do that, I'm gonna be successful. And one of the things I found at every single level is how much of all of this is not just about the tactics or the strategies, even though it's important. That's, that's a big piece, but it is only a piece. The mindset in the inner game is really the true kind of thing that's going on and really the thing that, that influences everything else.
I'll never forget uh, when I was working with Taki more like uh, this was maybe 2019. I remember getting to the point in our business where our business was about to cross the 50K a month mark. And I remember something in my brain was just breaking because just over 12 months previous, uh, that was my annual salary. Now, of course, 50K a month was not 100% income. It wasn't like I was like making in a month what I used to make in a year. But mentally, it felt like I was, meaning like I was like crossing the threshold being like, how did I used to work 60 hours a week for a whole year as a youth pastor and generate 50 grand? And now I'm working a month and I'm generating 50 grand. And I remember it like really messing with me. And, and it took me like days and weeks to kind of get out of this weird funk where I was like having to shed this old Dan to step into a new Dan, if that makes sense. And at every level, uh, and it's not always money related. Sometimes it's about team. Sometimes it's just about uh, kind of, you know, you, you, you're... Um, you're facing different obstacles and there are kind of like moments where you have to level up in your thinking. But this has been the biggest thing that I have realized is that I need to cultivate in me a focus on the health of my soul or my spirit, whether you call that just your mindset, whatever it might be, sorry for hitting the, the mic, um, whatever it might be, like that is the most important job. Like my most important job is like looking after my insides. And, and when I have neglected that, business is not only less fun, it's way harder. And, and it's harder in the sense that, you know, you can, you can neglect, it's, it's, we're kind of getting into esoteric territory, but this is the, the big lesson I wanted to start with, because there is oftentimes a direct correlation, even if we can't measure it, about the state of our internal and the reality of our external. And so I just want to leave you with this last story on kind of this big lesson of the inner game. We've, we've faced a really big tax bill recently, which I think is just a rite of passage from every entrepreneur that I've talked to is the unexpected big tax bill. And for us, it was like multiple six figures. And it was terrifying, like to kind of get that, like I thought we were pretty on top of taxes, but also I'm not a very detail orientated person. And so the person on my team that was supposed to be overseeing that, that's no longer on the team, <laughs> not related to that incident, but um, you know, coincidentally, um, they were supposed to be watching that. They weren't, I got an email from our accountants that was like, hey, you owe, I think it was like $180,000 in tax. And I was like, goodness. And so last week I was like, okay, this is stressing me out. We have cash. Uh, I don't want to use it. I want to figure out a way to make a hundred grand. And this is a true story. I'm not going to break it all down, but on a Wednesday night, I told Olivia, I need to make a hundred grand. And then she and I had a similar thought of what I was supposed to do. And 12 hours later, I closed a hundred thousand dollar deal. And 50% of that was collected that day. And the, re the remaining 50%, the remaining $50,000 was paid over two months. And the beautiful part of that was that, um, you know, it, it's work, it's, it's, it's work that I enjoy doing. So it's not like I have to go and do a whole bunch of stuff for money. The point being that was an internal, like, like if you had told me, uh, even six weeks ago that I would have the confidence and the belief in myself that I could go and do that, I would have laughed because that is outrageous. A hundred thousand dollar deal in a day. That's insane. 
And yet it happened. And it happened because the decision in me happened that I was like, I have to make this happen, right? And my internal met the, the obstacles of my external and I decided to rise to the challenge. I could go preachy on here, but I just want to tell you right now that to go from this level to the next level, it's not going to be as externally focused as you think. You're not 17 funnels away. You don't need to do this, this, and this. Oftentimes the external is the simplest. The internal is the hardest. And so I really want to challenge you, regardless of your size of business, to not neglect focusing on the health of your spirit, soul, mindset, faith, whatever you want to call it, because that's the thing that's really going to determine your level of success in business and in life. Number two, business is as simple as you'll let it be. I'll keep this one simple. Scaling a business naturally brings complexity. Like a $100 million business is going to be more complex than a million dollar business. And a million dollar business is going to be more complex than a hundred thousand dollar business. But one of the things I've also realized is that we often make business more complex than it needs to be, right? When, it, when we come down to the funnels that we use, right? The team that we hire, the offers that we make. One of the things I've realized is that business can be as simple as we let it be. Like when I think back to me doing all the things I thought I was supposed to do, modeling lots of other people. I had a team of 13. I was in Zoom calls all day. I mean, I'm just going to like share this. This is so, so embarrassing. One day I was on so many Zoom calls, I had to pee in a bottle. And like, that's so disgusting. But I literally was just living on calls between clients and team. Like it was outrageous. And, and business felt so complex, but I, but looking back, I was making it complex. Like it didn't have to be that complex for that size. And so if you're facing massive complexity, regardless of the size of business, of course, not everything can be really, really simple at every level, but oftentimes it can be as simple as we let it be. We create the complexity more than the complexity creates itself. And so we have to protect ourselves from overcomplicating the business. And so don't have two funnels do the job of one. Don't let two employees do the job of one, right? Make sure that you protect and fight for simplicity at every level because simplicity is not only the thing that really lets you have massive financial gain in your business, right? Profit margins. It's also the biggest indicator of actual happiness within a business. The more complex a business is, you can guarantee it's going to create more stress. But the simplest it is, typically the easier it is to scale. What's the quote? It's like simple scales, but fancy fails, right? Simple scales, but complexity creates constraint. We want to fight for complexity. And so I think back to like, you know, 2021, an agency plus two offers, team of 13, we made 2 million. 2022, one offer, one funnel, team of four, 2 million again, right? And it's because we just simplified uh, that we we're able to achieve that. So that's number two. Number three, if you want better margins, pick a better model. If you want better margins, pick a better model. This is a really simple idea that I don't think many people think about when it comes to scaling a coaching or consulting business. Oftentimes, we create a hierarchy of different business models and we assume this one's right and this one's wrong and this one's good and this one's bad. And so, for example, when you step into the high ticket coaching space, you are told that one to one coaching is inferior and everyone should go to group coaching. Right. That's that's a, a, a simple kind of metaphor or a, a simple example. In a lot of cases, that's true this year. I made hundreds of thousands of dollars of profit doing one-to-one -one consulting. 
And this was one of the things that I had to really examine this year and go, okay, if margin is about making more money, like as in more take-home income, and also being happier, like I'm spending less time and energy getting good happiness out of it, if I want better margins, I've got to pick a better model. And so a great example of this in my journey was like, I didn't like the result of the model of the, like the agency business model that we had. That led to low profit margins and low time and energy. Like, or as in it required a lot of time and energy, so there's very little uh, left over for me. Does that mean all agency models are bad? No, but the one that we had picked and chose to scale became really complex, or at least I made it complex. My point being, oftentimes we try and figure out, okay, what thing can I add or take away from the top of my business, the funnel, the offer, etc., without actually looking at the foundation of what is the business model? What are people paying me for? How much of it's done with you, done, done for you? How much is do it yourself? And really looking at those things and then looking at things like price point. Because again, one-to-one -one coaching is really unsustainable and unscalable if you're charging low amounts of money. But if you're charging huge amounts of money, like I've been doing this year, then, then it becomes not only scalable, but really profitable and really enjoyable. My point is, if you want better margins, start by looking at your overall business model and figure out, have I got a business model that scales in the way that I actually want it to? Number four, this has been a big, big lesson for me. To reach a new level, become a better leader. To reach a new level, become a better leader. This is true for, uh, you know, internally with your team. This is also true in your market. When you are trying to lead an audience, lead a tribe, you will be naturally capped by how many people you can attract into your business by your own level of leadership. And so I, I think back to 2018 and um, I was leading by abdication. Now I had two contractors that was helping me fulfill and there was no uh, team meeting, no accountability, nothing like that. I, my job was not to uh, lead them in terms of my, my philosophy. I was just like, hey, I'm paying them to do a job and they should do it. And, and, and ultimately, uh, you know, leadership, um, there are, how do I word this? There are mistakes on either side of leadership. We all know that micromanagement, right? The idea of obsessing over every little detail of your team members' lives is, can be a negative thing. On the flip side, I would say more of the entrepreneurs that I deal with is that they lead by abdication, right? They just go, cool, I just assume you've got it. The point being, to level up, you have to improve your leadership skills. And in order to improve your leadership skills, you have to do things that you are typically unwilling or unable to do up until this point. So one of the traps that I see people uh, fall into is that they get stuck being a solopreneur. They get stuck not being able to make that transition to actually leading other people. And so therefore they, they're capped in the amount of clients they can bring on, they're capped in the amount of calls that they can book, they're capped in the amount of cash that they can collect. So when someone hires an appointment setter, they just assume that appointment setter is gonna lead themselves. And the, the, their barrier to the next level is their ability to become a better leader. So if you wanna reach a new level, become a better leader. And the, the last part of this is that the hardest person to lead is yourself. And so at every level, you need to learn to lead yourself better. Number five, if you want to be unhappy, ignore your intuition. <laughs> the recipe for unhappiness is just ignoring your intuition. This comes down to like who you work with, the business you run, the person you marry, the country you live in. And uh, I can think back, and again, I've referenced kind of 2018 a lot, but that was when, when things started for me. 
I literally wrote down, I was sitting with my friend James yesterday and um, we were talking about the kind of lessons and mistakes that we've made along the, the journey. And one of the things that I said to him that was really funny was I wrote down in August of 2018, so I'd been in business a couple of months. I said, I don't want to run an agency. I just want to create content and coach people. If I built an agency, this is in my journal. <laughs> if I built an agency, I would hate it. And guess what I did? I went and built an agency and I eventually hated it. The point being, I already intuitively knew what I wanted to do. In fact, in that journal entry, I literally described the thing that I'm doing today. And I ignored that because I saw people making lots of money with agencies and I wanted that to be me. But rather than stepping into a business model that I would have enjoyed earlier, I had to push that off for years because I chased money rather than followed my intuition. This is also true of countries that we lived in. You know, one of the, how we've spent this year, um, which has been really interesting, you know, we, we intuitively feel, this is kind of a, <laughs> a bit off track, but like long-term, we feel like we're going to be living in Los Angeles. We went and spent five months in Los Angeles this year. We loved it and also felt like now's not the right time. Especially like, you know, I mentioned earlier in, in this episode, like I've got a big focus on health right now. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm fat, you know? <laughs> no, but not just that. I really just let myself get burnt out over those last years that I've referred to. And so the focus for us as a family is just connection, health, and really just a change of pace. And I intuitively felt very clearly that we were supposed to go to Bali as a family, which is where I am right now. The problem was, I couldn't figure out the time zones. I was like, oh, we've got all these clients in America and uh, you know, my team's in America. This would never work. And I looked at the time zone converters and I was like trying to do chess and, and I just couldn't figure it out. And so I decided to go to Mexico. And if, if you go back to my Facebook posts at that time, I'm literally asking people, guys, where is the Bali of Central America? Like, where is the Bali of South America? Right? I already know where I'm supposed to be, Bali. But I'm trying to like work my way around it because logistically it didn't make sense. So we go, to Bar we go to Mexico. I arrive in Mexico on the first night. We're at this beautiful resort. I'm overlooking trees, pools. We're right by the ocean. And I literally stand there on night one. And I say to myself, oh no, I'm not supposed to be here. And it was the most humbling feeling because I also realized my family was traveling from New Zealand at that point through America to get to Mexico. And there's no way that I could just turn us all around to go back to Bali. Mexico to Bali was like 30 something hours. So I had to humble myself and go, I have made a mistake. We're not supposed to be here, but let's just make the most of it. Now, the worst case scenario was not that bad, but what it felt like for months was just being out of sync with where I was supposed to be. Conversely, now that we're in Bali, it feels so freaking good. And so I wanna challenge you that in the midst of looking for principles, looking for strategies, all of those things are very important. There's no reason why you should invent the wheel for yourself and just have to like, you know, pretend you've got to sit down and kind of dream all this up yourself. Your intuition doesn't work like that. It's not like everything has to be reinvented, but your intuition is important. I'm a person of faith. For me, intuition and God speaking to me is like one and the same thing. But whatever it means to you, don't ignore that voice that is telling you to start or to stop, or to stay, or to go, or to try something new, because ultimately that voice is the thing that's going to lead you into greater joy, greater meaning, greater freedom at every level. So that's been a huge lesson for me, is that if you want to be unhappy, ignore your intuition. 
Number six, I'm hoping this is helpful, by the way, because there's these are like hard-fought lessons. And if you actually take even just one of them, I know that you're going to have massive amounts of, um, you, you, you're going to save yourself a lot of heartache, put it that way. <laughs> so these are like lessons I've had to fight for and kind of learn in the trenches. Number six, very practical, buy your time back. As you get more successful and as you get more money, you should be buying your time back. Most of us think money, we think buying stuff. Stuff is great, but your time is the best asset that you could be investing in. And as you accumulate some money, let's say you go from 2K a month to 5K a month to 10K a month, there's gonna be a, a period of time, wherever, um, sorry, um, an income level, where you, you start to get some margin, and all of a sudden you have more than what you need. So I'm not at all encouraging that you do this stuff in deficit, just like by blind faith and you start making these investments. But when you start to have margin, these are definitely the things that you consider. So firstly, on the business side, you know, you want to invest into team. Every single coach or consultant should have at least a virtual assistant helping them five to 10 hours a week at minimum with admin tasks, business admin tasks, life admin tasks. You want to buy back the time where you were doing monotonous, repetitive tasks and give it to someone else who would be happy and would be grateful to be able to do that. Then when it comes to booking calls, right, there's a period of time where you you book all the calls. And then, and then ultimately, you want to buy your time back and hire someone to book those calls for you. Same with closing calls, same with coaching clients. You always want to be making sure you're buying your time back and focusing in on the revenue generating activities in your business. The second thing is on the life side. You want to figure out ways to pay for convenience. So one of the earliest investments that I made, even before I really could afford to, was we paid someone to mow our lawns, someone to cut the grass, because I tried it one time, I borrowed a friend's lawnmower, and I was like, never again. <laughs> and so we were paying like, I think it was like $20 a month, $25 a month. And that for us at the time was a lot. But what that meant was the grass always looked great, and I didn't have to do it. Then eventually when we started the business, one of the first things that we did was we hired a cleaner. And having a cleaner was a freaking game changer because I didn't enjoy cleaning, Olivia and my wife didn't enjoy cleaning, and now we brought someone into our home who loved cleaning, loved being a part of our family in that way, and, and we got to enjoy a cleaner home. And over time, that's just been extended to so many things where now we have the luxury to travel with a full-time nanny. And we also have uh, you know, meals provided for. I mean, we basically never cook. We always order out and, and in Bali, that's so cheap. Um, but the point is, is that the time that you are spending should be spent on stuff that you love and the stuff that only you can do, right? So we have a nanny, she supports the kids, but she's not spending all the time with the kids because there is a portion of parenting that only I can do and I love doing. My point though, is that there's probably stacks of stuff on your calendar that you shouldn't be doing or you just don't want to do. And so growing your income should not just mean that your garage gets filled with more crap. It should mean that you're buying more of your time back because that's the ultimate wealth and the ultimate status of wealth is being able to spend your time however you like. So number six is buy your time back. Number seven, make generosity your growth strategy. Now, on the business side, this looks really simple, right? You know, we've heard the, the kind of phrase, I think Hormozzi uh, mentioned this, I don't know if he came up with it, but the whole idea of like, make your free stuff better than their paid stuff. And, you know, I think at this point, uh, through our main programs and through kind of uh, stuff that I've been contracted on to coach people, um, I've worked with 750 plus clients. We generate over $200 million for our clients. 
but we've had almost 14,000 people go through our free courses and our free resources. I regularly get testimonials from our free eBooks. So we got a 63 page uh, guide called the Group Funnel Playbook. And I just dropped all my knowledge about groups at that time into that playbook with nothing held back. I tried to make my free stuff better than their paid stuff. And it paid off big time. And so when it comes to our marketing and our sales and everything we do in business, we try and make generosity a part of our growth strategy. On a real personal level, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. And in the Christian church, uh, they teach a, a concept called a tithe. And I think my thoughts on tithing has evolved the older I've gotten. But basically, I've always given a percentage of my income since I was 16 years old. And this has been one of the best things about getting more money in the last few years is just the level of generosity. When we left the country in New Zealand, we were able to get out three lots of $10,000 to give to three different specific family members. There have been so many different things that we've been able to do anonymously. Even just a couple of months ago, where I was just able to give $10,000 to a friend that I just intuitively felt like might have needed it. Whether or not they did, I don't even know. Now, I'm not at all saying this to like impress you or to brag, but like that whole sense of like making more money, if it's just for you, like what's the point? Like generosity is such a privilege. And, and that has been such an enriching part of getting wealthier for us. It's like we still have so far to go. Like I wouldn't call myself wealthy by any means. I mean, I, let me, hold on, let me quickly pause there. I'm definitely wealthy by world standards because I would consider most of us listening to this podcast to be wealthy. Like let's just have some perspective. We have the necessities. We've got money in the bank. We've got food. You know, let's, let's maintain that perspective. But compared to a lot of the people I hang out with, I feel like a baby fish, right? I feel like a baby shark baby shark, you know. Um, but the point is, is that this whole privilege of being able to give is a huge part of the biggest benefit of getting more money and having more income. It even comes down to the way that we run our team. You know, we have a team member who's in the Philippines and I remember at, uh, maybe sometime end of last year, uh, she was really excited because she was building an addition to her house and that was just gonna change the way her family lived. But in the midst of COVID and supply costs increasing and things like that, um, she could not make the payments like she had hoped to. And so we were able to pay off the rest of her house. And then a couple of weeks ago, uh, she had an unexpected uh, like family member lose their life. And, and she was um, just sharing how upset she was because the family members couldn't pay for the funeral. And so we were able to pay off the rest of the funeral costs. Now, to me, that's like, like it's so meaningful. Like as in the money to me is meaningless, meaning like, uh, what else would I have done with that money? Like that is so exciting. And I, I know this is, I'm going on about this, but like make generosity a growth strategy. Like when we come from a place of scarcity, people can feel it. And and not only will it affect the way that we market and sell and, and how people connect with us and interact with us, but it also just, it, it affects the way we live our life. When we think in lack, when we think about just gaining for ourselves and just trying to have enough for ourselves, it keeps us in small thinking. And the key to abundance, the key to attracting more abundance, the key to being able to uh, steward more abundance is 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 um, almost being open-handed with it. Like it's, it's allowing things to come to you and then flow through you. And so I wanna encourage you that wherever you're at, make a commitment to make generosity your growth strategy, not just in your business, but in your life as well. Number eight, uh, this is it, I just wanna, this will be quick. 
Following your passion is overrated. Developing passion is underrated. One of the worst pieces of advice I hear in, in kind of life in general, and then especially in the coaching space is like, you know, just follow your passion. And the reality is, is that when I was uh, just starting out, I was not passionate about Facebook ads. I was passionate about making money. I was like, man, I need to make some money to pay some bills so that we're not broke anymore. If I was to follow my passion, I would have started that podcast back then, but also had not made any money. And so maybe I should have tried to figure out to do both. But the point is, is that the, I wasn't passionate about the things that I was actually selling initially. But the key that I found is rather than trying to find things you're interested in, find people you're excited to work with. I want to say that again. Rather than just like following your passions, like finding topics that you're really excited about already and just doing that, find people you're excited to work with. That's been the big theme for me over the last few years. It's just being so freaking excited about the people we work with that now I'm passionate about the stuff we do. Now, deep down, I don't care about Facebook. I don't care about Facebook groups. I don't care about Facebook ads. But to the extent that they help me serve the people that I'm passionate about working with, I'm passionate about them. And so rather than just following your passion, find people you enjoy working with and develop a passion for serving them. I know it's a bit backwards, but if you sit there and just wait to be excited about stuff or chase your excitement, you're probably going to be waiting a long time because there's not always a clear overlap between the thing you like and the thing that will make you money. But if you can figure out how to make money serving people you enjoy working with, then you'll develop passions along the way. Number nine, we've got the second to last, choose your mentors carefully. This is a huge lesson. You know, we, we've heard the kind of, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future, you're the sum of the five people you hang out with. And mentorship is very similar. In the coaching and consulting space, I just see people jumping from mentor to mentor to program to program to course to course. And on one level, I'm incredibly empathetic. Like I totally get it, especially when you've invested in something and it didn't turn out to be the thing you needed. I totally get that. But your mentors are the clearest sign of the direction you're going to end up in the next 6, 12, 18, 24 months. If you are paying someone money and saying, I'm going to take your advice and do what you tell me to do, you better be sure that that's a person that you actually want to become more like. And I don't just mean like their temperament or like, you know, they're muscly or, you know, those things might come into play. But ultimately, I think people give very little um, thought to like where the mentor is. Like, you know, we see these people, they're like, oh, you should do what I do because uh, this is the best way to get clients. But then they're working 80 hours a week, stressed out of their mind, um, you know, having a burnout every six weeks, right? And then, and then the, the client's coming along, <laughs> then wonder why they're also struggling, right? It's because they're following a leader or following a mentor that has a specific style of business, a specific rhythm of work that might not fit with them. I'm not saying anything to bash anyone else. What I'm just saying is it's so important to choose your mentors carefully. And the second thing I'm going to say is some mentors are for a season and some last seasons. So there have been times where I've signed up for a coaching program and I get everything I felt like I needed out of it in the first couple of weeks. And I might feel like I'm wasting my money for the rest of that time if I'm still paying it off. I remember like I made a, a year-long commitment and I got everything I needed in the first 90 days and then I just had to keep paying for the next nine months, right? But rather than 
uh, me pretending like I needed to get like anything else. I just decided to like, okay, I've made that commitment. I've made that investment. I'm now going to move on to another mentor that I think is going to give me what I need. And I think this is a very important point that we need to understand which mentors are for a season, which mentors are you know, for multiple seasons. And there have been people, like Sam Ovens is someone, I'm not paying him any money right now, but he's someone that continues to inspire me, right? There are people in my world that I just like, I'm looking at whether it's like listening to a podcast or going through a course. There are people that I know like these are my mentors, right? I'm like, right now I'm learning from Brendan Bouchard and Brooke Castillo. And neither of those people am I paying money to, but like they're mentors to me. And then there are other people that not necessarily in the season I'm paying money to, but I've paid money to in the past that I'm just still, and I'm still like listening, learning, following. My point being, don't just like chase a Facebook ad, jump down a funnel and then sign up with someone. Be intentional about the direction you want to go and the person you want to become and then find the mentor you feel most confident can help you get to that place and become that person. Number 10, trading happiness for money is a fool's exchange. And this has been a big, big lesson for me and it's why it is number 10. You know, last night, I couldn't sleep because I was so excited about being here today recording this for you. And genuinely, I was like, oh my gosh, I just can't wait. And it's because it's been a long time coming, I've been putting it off because there have been other things that I've been focusing on because it's more profitable for me to do X, Y, Z in our business. But what I've realized is that I just want to optimize for fun. Now, I can't get rid of funnels and get rid of acquiring clients and booking calls and all that because that is important. It's what keeps the lights on. It's what helps us stay at the level we are and pay the staff and pay for our lifestyle. But there is a point where it's not just about pushing further and further and further to make more and more and more money. You need to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Is it because I want to or is it because deep down I'm kind of like trying to fill some kind of lack? And one of the things that I think is just massively underrated is building a business you actually enjoy running. And I don't just mean the idea of it. I don't just mean the moment that you get the two comma club award and you get to high five Russell Brunson. I mean a business that you're actually, you wake up and you're excited to be a part of it. You're excited to do what is necessary to, to keep the business running, to move the business forward. And trading happiness for money is a fool's exchange. And I get it in the early days, you gotta do it, right? You absolutely have to do it. There were things that I did in that first year of business that I just had to do to make the money. But at some point, you, it's not even about keeping the lights on anymore. You're just doing it for the sake of it, to try and get a higher revenue level, to try and make more money, to try and have that dopamine hit when you get to brag to your friend that you just hit a new milestone. Don't be so short-sighted that you neglect your happiness, your joy, your meaning and purpose in life for just a freaking, you know, <laughs> just, I don't even know where I was going with that. Like a, just, just a silly revenue goal that doesn't mean anything to you in the first place. Doesn't mean you should be dumb. It doesn't mean that you should neglect making money. You absolutely should figure out how to do those things, but you absolutely should try and find out how to do it in a way, pick a business model, find the people to do it with that. That's going to energize you. That's going to be fun. So that is all 10 lessons that I've learned in a few years of doing this and about five and a half million in sales and about 200 million generated for clients. So I'm hoping this was helpful. And uh, I, if you stuck all the way to the end, thank you so much for being on episode one of the Scalability Podcast. 
my name is Dan Bolton. My middle name is James Porteous, like middle names, Daniel James Porteous Bolton. So feel free to tease me about that uh, next time you see me because uh, it's, it's, it's a sore spot. Uh, I don't know why my parents um, disliked me so much at birth that they would do that to me. But anyway, um, I'm really grateful uh, for all of you. Whether there's five people listening to this or eventually 500, um, I'm grateful that you allow me to do work I find meaningful. And so if you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe. It's on YouTube. It's on wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, feel free to share it and I will catch you on another episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of Scale School. I hope you found something valuable in today's episode. If you haven't already subscribed, go ahead and do that so you can be notified every time we drop future episodes. And if you and I have not already connected, feel free to track me down on any one of the social media platforms. My big head and smiling face are no doubt gonna be there. And you can just search my name, Dan Bolton, and we can connect there. But thank you again for tuning in and I'll see you in a future episode.